I say this all the time. I know I'm not moving mountains and curing cancer, but at the same time, I think what we do is really valuable and giving people peace of mind goes a long way. And so that was always my why. You're listening to your financial planner. Now what? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Welcome back for another great episode with our host, Ian Harvey. Today, his guest is Susie Eric. She's a CFP and financial planner at BMO Wealth Management. Susie is a decade into her financial planning career, and today she shares with us how she navigated the banking environment from starting out as a teller to her current role as a financial planner at a large bank. You'll hear how she has grown professionally from shadowing, volunteering, and mentorship, and how stepping outside of her comfort zone has impacted her career positively. Straight ahead, Susie dives into what it means for a new planner to advocate for themselves and their career, know how to find mentors who will guide them, and what it means to network well. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today. Uh, We're here with Susie Eric, uh, who is a wealth planner at BMO. Um, Hi, Susie. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. So I think it would be great if we started this conversation off hearing a little bit about sort of how you got to where you are right now. So you were in college, you graduate, you get your first job, you're working at banks. How did that process go for you? Oh, oh thanks. Um, it was actually kind of interesting. I feel like my entire career has just been a series of meeting the right people and being in the right place at the right time to get me where I'm at. Um, but when I started, I just was doing my undergrad in business and I was taking accounting courses and my degree was actually in global business. And so I I found myself really interested in um, global financial markets and just working with people from different cultures and different backgrounds. And so I was looking at different careers and I thought that financial advisor would be a really good fit. Working with people, get to work in the financial markets and um, and what I understood, they got paid really well too. So of course, here I am, I'm, you know, early twenties and I'm looking at that too. So I started looking at how do I get into that space? Um, I interviewed and got accepted to a Morgan Stanley internship and a Northwestern Mutual internship um, here locally in Scottsdale. Mm. And I I hesitated because they were both internships, which didn't pay at the time. Um, (laughs) And I was living on my own. I was actually living with my now husband. So I was a little bit hesitant and I just didn't have that. I just didn't have that real confidence in myself that I could go out there and be okay without having some sort of salary. Mm. So I didn't decide to go that route and I thought there might be something else. So I started looking at where else financial advisors work and I found out that there were some in banks. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll try this. So I, um, there was an interview at Wells Fargo and they didn't have an internship to work directly with financial advisors but they said I could come in and maybe get a job as a teller, get my foot in the door. So I was like, okay, that sounds great. I'll get paid. I can learn, see what's going to happen. So that's how I started in banks, honestly. By being a teller, I got the opportunity to work with a financial advisor who was in the branch where I was working. I told her what I wanted to do. So I would just sit with her. So if it wasn't busy at the teller branch or at the teller line, I would go sit in her office and just watch her have conversations with clients, understand what she was doing every day. And then go back to my other job. Um, I was lucky enough to get into a licensed banker program. So they paid for my seven, my 66 while I was working in the branch and still getting a salary, which was nice too. Um, 
Yeah. So I really got all of these opportunities to see what I wanted to do. I didn't necessarily have the pressure of having to produce right away as I was 22 years old and didn't feel ready. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. So there was an opportunity in the private bank in Scottsdale to be a, a support person for three financial advisors. And of course, I thought, what a perfect way to really learn the business without yeah. having to produce. Um, mm -hmm. As you can see, I was never really confident uh, going in, but I moved into that job, was there for a few years, and it could have been timing. So this was July of 2007. And I was in that role through 2009. So probably not the best time to try to get my foot in the door being a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought, I don't know that I can stomach the ups and downs. I just don't know that that's for me. But the one part of the job that I love doing was running the college analysis, running the cash flow analysis for the financial advisors while they were onboarding clients. That was a part that I really liked. And so I shifted to financial planning instead. I went through, we had a financial planner in the office and I started sitting with her. Um, I just said, can you just let me just sit with you? I just want to see what you do. I want to absorb as much as I can from what you're doing while I'm still doing this other job. Um, and then and you asked for that, she, to be clear. I did. Yep. Awesome. So I just sat with her and I said, you know what? This is what I want to do. I want your job eventually. Um, I know it's not available yet. So tell me how I get there. Um, and so that's one thing if I can pass on anything to anyone who's listening to this is even if a job isn't there, ask for it. Mm. Um, if you see somebody doing something that you really want to do, ask them for it. And I think I even did that for you being in my role <laughs> in next gen. I said, Hey, I want to do what you do. How do I do it? <laughs> and that's what I'm doing now. So how do you ask that question? appropriately. So we all dream of the day where we can walk into our boss's office, right? And say, look, this is what I want. And then all of a sudden it happens, but we know that isn't the case in real life and asking nope. questions in the right manner makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. You need to be respectful and asking for these kinds of things, right? You need to be, um, understanding of where everyone who's above you has come from. Yep. And so when you ask a question like this, you're really asking for sort of a favor in a way, right? Yeah. Um, and so how do you approach that question with someone who's above you in the office who maybe even is responsible for your paycheck in a way that is respectful and shows a mutually beneficial goal at the end of the day? That And you just hit on it is the mutually beneficial. So um, that's a really good question, too. Anytime I asked for these opportunities, I always came in with, what can I do for you? So it wasn't always just sitting with them. It was also, how can I help you? Is there something, is there some sort of task that you're doing that not only can I learn from you, but it's also going to help you? So when, when I was a planner and to back up just a moment, these opportunities didn't just come up. I said, hey, I want to be a planner. They sat me down and sure, here's a job. You're a planner. It took time. I mean, I, I sat with this particular planner for probably um, almost two years before a position opened up. So I was just trying to get integrated. And what I would do for her is just some medial administrative tasks that for her took a lot of time. But for me, was giving me the opportunity just to see what documents she was looking at. I would start looking at tax returns. And she would say, hey, can you take a look at this really quick and see if you see something? Whatever the case may be, but it was helpful for her. There was a senior planner um, 
as I, I eventually got an assistant role to the planning department. So they created a role, actually. Um, I was lucky enough where I knocked on the door enough and the planner said they needed help enough where they made a, um, they made a, a, a support role for that, for that position. So then I really got in there and I would do anything. If she needed me to do research on one piece, I would say, please let me do the research and I'll, I'll do it for you. So I think going in and saying, I want to learn, but I also want to help is how you can get in the door, but, and being very clear on why it is that you think you're good for this role or why you want this, you know, we can all say we want something because it looks pretty on paper, but what is it about yourself? And what is it about the things that you've learned about yourself that you think actually fit that role? Mm. Um, And be very clear about that. And I think that's respected if somebody is going to be working with you. If I could ask, do you remember what was your why during that time frame? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I've always loved working with people um, and just seeing the end result of something, being able to really help somebody and being in a meeting and that person saying, You've, I really appreciate what you did. I, I say this all the time. I know I'm not moving mountains and curing cancer, but at the same time, I think what we do is really valuable and giving people peace of mind goes a long way. And so that was always my why is I want to help people and I want to see a tangible result from what I'm doing. And I can see that in people when they have a positive interaction. So that was always my why. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So we can head back to to where you were sort of in your career progression. So you've asked for this opportunity and then um, you were given the name of the boss, right? Yeah. Uh, And so take us from there. You know, I just started emailing the boss. So at the time, I'm working in a in a big bank. Um, there's a lot of regions. So I was at Wells. You know, Wells is everywhere. And in that time, the planning department covered all of the Southwest region. So our boss was in California at the time. And I would email him and say and let him know that I was interested in being a part of the planning group. I knew there wasn't an opportunity yet, but if there was something, please keep me in mind. And then I would continually um, follow up with him every so often, um, not to be annoying, but just to keep my name on the radar. Um, and again, eventually there was the need for a support role and I got the job. So um, I think just because my name was in his email enough. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so then I got the support role and then from there just kind of kept moving up. So while I was in the support and then when I moved to the planner role, I decided that Um, It was important for me to get additional credentials. If anybody was going to use me and I wanted to move up, I was working with CPAs and attorneys at the time that wasn't um, my path. So I decided to get my master's degree while I was a planner and kind of in the baseline paraplanner-ish type role. That's where I stayed. So can you talk a little bit about that career path? What has been your experience with a career path, any kind of track, or has there been training or certain requirements as you attempted to move up? You know, kind of going back to why we're doing this. In a bank, there's there's a lot of levels <laughs> to what mm-hmm. we do, especially mm-hmm. at Wells. Maybe not here at BMO, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but at Wells, there were a lot of levels. So you would go in as a pair planner, then you'd be uh, a you know, kind of your next level up. Then there was a senior planner. Then there was a strategist. There were four levels within planning. And then there was management above that. Um, Not uncommon in any large institution. So it was a very defined path. There was, there was step ups each way. 
So I found that unless you had a certain type of experience outside of the bank, then your ability to move up was hampered. So I talked to a bunch of mentors and one of my mentors encouraged me to look outside, to to expand my expertise. Because if those folks, and maybe I could come back, you know, but getting experience outside of the bank, outside of that particular role would increase my earning potential, would increase my ability to move up. And then, you know, if I want to come back, I could, but I was kind of stuck at that point. So it was based on that mentor's encouragement that I decided to look outside the bank and look for other opportunities. And so that opportunity came at BMO where you sit now? It did actually. So I had a a short stint at the RIA that BMO owns. So it's uh, Stoker Osler. So at the time, um, there were quite a few colleagues that were at Wells Fargo that had moved over to BMO. Um, and so I, I knew about the company. I started to hear about the opportunities that were there, um, but opportunities didn't exist for planning at the time. So um, I just, it's based on actually a lot of people that I met through FPA um, that I got introduced down at Stoker Osler, which was the RAA here locally they had a planning opportunity that had opened up. And I thought, what a great way to be a part of an organization for people that I know that I've worked with for so many years, but also to get uh, experience in an RIA where I could feel a little bit of a different way that planning is done. Um, I've heard great things about the company. And so I decided to make that switch. Um, The other thing that I think is really important is optics. Um, In the banking industry, I had been in the same place And a lot of people I've talked to have experienced this, but I had started as an admin. I had worked my way through, but I'd always been in this support role most of my career. It wasn't towards the end of my career at the bank where I was in more of a professional um, status. But the people that had known me for so long always saw me as an admin. So it was hard for me to get out of that, honestly, unless I left. And so I got this new role at the RIA and I was coming in at that as the professional, not as the admin that had moved up. Um, so that you know that was great for for me for personal growth. But I spent a few months, uh, actually only seven months there, um, and it just happened that an opportunity opened up while I was there at BMO. So it was an internal transfer, but I moved into the private bank, and I've been in this role ever since. So it's been uh, just about three years that I've been with BMO. So let's come back to your current role and spend just a little time thinking about the RAA space versus the private bank space. And yeah. so seven months in RAA and you're back in private banking. So what is it that drew you back to sort of the private bank style of things as opposed to the RAA understanding they were both owned by BMO at that time? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And something that I <laughs> I always think back, but I I don't know if it's because I just grew up in the bank where I felt comfortable. Um, mm. the, but the overriding factor for me was in an RIA and particularly there, um, the most clear career path was to be a portfolio manager. Um, they have very successful portfolio managers and And they also lead with planning too. So planning was very important to them, but that's where I saw my clearest path was portfolio manager. And that took me right back to 2009 when I decided I didn't want to be a a portfolio manager. Hmm. And so I decided, and I was, you know, very clear on, on where I wanted to go and I wanted to continue to grow. And when the role at the private bank opened up, it wasn't only just a planner role back in the private bank, but it was also 
a planning group that was not in its infancy, but younger. So they had only really been doing the type of planning that we were doing for just a few years. So I saw it as an opportunity to be a part of something that was growing um, and that I'd have more, more opportunities to grow in planning. So, um, and I also, honestly, for me, being in a private bank, there's a, in, in a bank in particular, there's a lot of, lot of paths you can take. Um, if I decided to go to trust, for example, I could go that route. If I wanted to do management, there's so many management opportunities. There's there's just a, a lot of places where I can go. If you think about it, there's in BMO, there's 46,000 employees. It means there's 46,000 jobs. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of options that I have um, versus an RIA where there's, uh, I usually see, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the individuals might wear a lot of different hats but you're wearing a lot of hats in a smaller space. Um, so that's where I think I always felt comfortable in my career being in the bank. From your first job until now, have you gone through a progression of gaining different positions over time? Yes. So I, so I think I've had, um, and I hope this answers your question, but since I started at Wells in the beginning and till now, I've had, I think, seven different jobs. Um, all in the same, uh, all in the same capacity in terms of doing some sort of planning. So I've always done planning in some sort of capacity in those roles, but I've had seven different jobs, um, whether they were support or whether they were um, in a different area. Since I've been at BMO in the last three years, I've been in the same role. So I actually started as a planner and, and moved up to senior planner, but essentially in the same role. So I've tried a lot of different things. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have you've to, had the though, opportunity right? To, right? <laughs> yeah, but and again, I've had the I've had the fortune of of working for institutions that have given me a platform to try different things and to see if it works or not. Mm. And then I've decided that what has worked for me and what I felt comfortable doing, and sometimes what I felt uncomfortable doing, but I found that hey, I, I hadn't thought about that before, and now I really like this aspect of the job. So. I've really been fortunate to try a lot of different aspects and work with a lot of different people too, to kind of find my niche. Yeah. So I'm curious, as you think about sort of your time with Wells and then, you know, you're asking your employer whether or not you can sit in meetings and, and become a financial planner one day and, and you're starting to go through this process of doing what you describe as menial tasks, but important ones that someone has to do, right? Um, and you're, you're helping them by relieving them of hours they don't, they're not spending doing these tasks that you're capable of. How do you set yourself up for success when you consider the amount of patience it takes to sit through maybe years of doing that kind of work, hoping for the next step to come. And I'll admit that there were times where I was so frustrated that I felt like I was continually doing remedial type tasks, so to speak. And I wasn't, I wasn't yet in the role that I wanted to be. Um, I can very clearly remember binding papers for the umpteenth time. And I thought to myself, am I ever going to stop doing this and actually get to do the work? Um, so I questioned it for sure. Um, but I also am a person with a lot of patience and I knew that I would eventually get where I needed to be and that I just had to take some time. I talked to a lot of mentors and that's another thing that if I, if I could get one message across is, talk to people that have been in this job, talk to people that are in the job you want, find mentors that you that really care about you 
and that will give you straight advice. And I talked to quite a few that said, you'll get there. Just, (laughs) I did the same thing. It will take some time, but it's there. Um, I was always looking for opportunities though, to be honest, you, you always, I think should be open to what's out there and understanding what you should be doing or what maybe you shouldn't be doing based on how long you've been in that role. So always just having your eyes open to potential opportunities. So let's talk a little bit about that. How do you advocate for yourself in other ways than asking for more opportunities from your direct reports? Honestly, I think that's probably the hard thing in a bank because unless you have, unless your direct management is, is very purposeful and very invested in you, it's hard to have people advocate for you. If you're, you know, at Wells, there's 200,000 plus employees, right? You, you were a number. Um, the people that I worked with were fantastic. So I didn't feel like I was a number in my office, but at the end of the day, I was, cause you're, it's just a massive organization. There's no way they can have, there's no way they can have a vested interest in everybody, mm. just the way that it is. So I had to do my own research. I had to go out there. I, I, I focused a lot on, making connections outside of the bank so I could understand what the landscape of financial planning looked like in the bank, outside the bank, what people were doing, what type of education they were getting. I spent a lot of time getting um, education and getting myself up to speed so I could prove that I was, I was invested in this and that I wanted to move forward and that I wanted to move up. And I thought the way that I could show that was by diving into a master's program into CFP into every license I could get um, to show that this was where I wanted to go. Hmm. And then taking that once I got through that and saying, Hey, I'm done with this. I've gotten the education. I have the experience. I know that I can do this job. Now, how do I get there? So you've mentioned a few times meeting the right people and being in the right places. How do you network? It's hard. And (laughs) I don't know if I'm the best person to give this advice because I probably stretch myself too thin. Uh, A lot of people who know me will (laughs) appreciate that. But I, I started in, actually started with NextGen. Um, uh, I'm of course biased, but that was my first intro into networking. They actually had, they had a meeting in my office. And Hmm. so I said, oh, well, I don't have to go very far, so I can just sit in that meeting. So I met those people and then I started going to other meetings and then I met people who were involved in, um, estate planning councils. And so I thought, well, shoot, if those, if they're included in those organizations, maybe I'll go over there. So I started going to those meetings and any, any young advisor group that I could find that was local, I tried to go to those meetings. Um, once I started down my tax program, um, I was introduced to the AICPA. So I started to, um, spend a little time there and then with philanthropy as well. So junior achievement, um, I started to become more involved in and if I started getting on committees, um, so with NextGen, I mean, you know, my history there. So I just started volunteering to, to help with planning events because I really like to plan. So that got me introduced to people. And then I wasn't just going to meetings, but I was involved. Um, I was involved in the conversation. I was, I felt like I was meeting people and having meaningful conversation versus just going to a meeting and then going on my merry way. So Um, I spent a lot of time just giving my time to different organizations to show that I was also uh, very interested, invested in what they were doing too. 
And that has led to a lot of really good connections. And I've continued to try to keep up on those connections as well. So um, I think staying very involved and, you know, connecting, reaching out to people. If I see an article that is something I know someone's involved in, I'll send it over and say, hey, I was just thinking of you. Um, hope you're doing well. Just you know, little touch points here or there. Sure. Um, that's how I built the network. And now that I'm, now that I'm, you know, over a decade into the, into the job, now I'm really focusing on those relationships that are meaningful and that are impactful and that I'm bringing value to them and they're same bringing value to me. So it's no longer just as many people as I can meet, but now it's really focusing on those relationships that are important. Sure. But that evolves over time, right? You got to, you got to kind of fill the bucket before you start picking things out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm hearing you say this takes time. A lot of time. Yeah. And I'm hearing you you say that it, it takes a lot of time for your network to get to a point where, you know, you're sort of comfortable in your own network. So in, in creating your own network in that way, um, would you say there was a big sort of capital outlay in order for you to be able to do that? There, you know, there was, um, time is capital. And I think building the network, building my brand, um, you know, even working in a bank where the bank is the brand, right. And I'm an advocate of that brand and, and I'm out there in the marketplace advocating, you know, today I'm waving the BMO flag, right. I'm, you know, that's my role. That's my job. That's what I'm paid to do, but I'm also a brand. And so building that took a lot of time and energy and, you know, through mid to late twenties, early thirties, it was, it was, you know, that was my focus. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a husband who is very supportive. (laughs) Um, but you know, it took a lot of time, a lot of happy hours, a lot of lunch meetings, um, studying. It just, there was a lot of commitment, but I knew it would pay off in the end. And I think any any role or anything that we do that's going to have any type of significance, you have to put the time and effort into it. It will pay off in the end for sure, um, but you have to you have to believe enough in yourself, and you have to believe enough in enough what you're doing to know that it will pay off in the end. So, from a monetary perspective, basically the only monetary cost to you was joining these organizations, which don't get me wrong, from time to time can get pricey. Yes. Um, does BMO support you in joining some or all of these organizations? Yes, they do. And I will say both organizations were very supportive. BMO is very career centric and uh, career minded for their, for their people. Um, probably because we're a little bit smaller. We're still a big bank, but smaller compared to the big, you know, big three, big five. Um, so they believe that if they, and if they support their people and they give us enough opportunity to grow, that will stay. Um, it's just, you know, (laughs) investing in your people. But I think that is one of the benefits of being a part of a bank and, um, a business with a lot of resources is, and it's called resources for anybody who works for a Canadian bank. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there, there is capital that's available. So I didn't have to personally spend a lot of money for these organizations. I was always, my organizations always paid for my annual dues, my CFP, um, my master's program. I had to pay for that, but they supported a portion of it, honestly. So, um, that wasn't all a capital outlay, even though part of it was on me. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of support and there's, there's some benefit to working for an organization that will, 
that will pay for that. I know it's hard for people that are on their own. I get that. So not everybody can go out there and be a part of, you know, four different organizations and pay those dues um, and still try to build their book of business. So sure. I get that. So it's also um, really important if you don't have the financial capacity to look at which is going to be the most impactful, where can you find the most benefit and where can you, what resources can you tap into for those organizations and be strategic about it? And if monetary uh, restrictions are, are a concern, then working for a bank certainly opens up a few more opportunities for folks. It does. Now, I, w- I will say that they're not just going to pay for anything. I have to make a valid case for it every year. I'm not a part of, you know, a hundred different organizations and just charging the card. Everything that I do has to, I have to be able to show a return on that investment. Um, how many continuing education credits I get to support the CFP, which is supporting the business. So, you know, it's not just a free for all by any stretch of the imagination, but they do have the resources to support it. Are there any sort of pros, cons that you're thinking about from a from working at a bank perspective that you want to make sure we touch on while we're here? You know, the, the pros definitely, I think we've talked about is the flexibility and job opportunities. Um, there's a, if you decide you want to make a shift, there's a lot of places you can shift and still stay within the same organization, which is nice. Um, so it gives you a, a lot of flexibility and, and still um, have a lot of opportunities. I would say some of the cons, just working in an RIA for a short period of time. So I can't speak to some folks who have been there for a long time, but um, it's also hard to affect change when you're in a big organization. There's a lot of things that I would love to do. And while working in a smaller organization has given me the opportunity to um, be a part of this big planning shift where we've definitely changed our model and how we deliver. Um, it's also, I have a lot of bosses above me. Um, and then we roll up all the way to Canada. So there's a lot of people that make a lot of decisions and sometimes it's hard to be a voice, um, in a bigger organization. So that can be a con for sure. Um, and so you just have to decide where you want to be. I'm I'm definitely not an entrepreneur. I don't have that entrepreneurial (laughs) spirit. I'm not building a book of business here, um, in my role. So, that also, if that's something that's important, um, a bank wouldn't be a good fit at all. Um, you're better off working in a smaller place where you can really grow your own business. So something that's interesting to me is I consider the fact that you're a financial planner within a bank. Um, and then you're talking about on some level, you're, no, you're not building a book of business. So how is it that you work with clients uh, with investment advisors or ho- however they're, they're called at BMO? Um, how are you called in? How are you a part of the client process? Sort of soup to nuts. What's that look like for you? No, and thank you for asking that question. I think that's something that um, a lot of people don't really know how we work. So first, I'm just a salary employee of the bank. Um, so I'm not incentivized to um, for any of our clients to open a checking account, open a credit card, anything like that. Um, I'm a part of the private bank team. That team consists of a relationship manager. So they're the ones who are fully responsible for the client experience and what that looks like. Then they bring in all the specialists, all the specialties, excuse me. (laughs) So specialties are a trust administrator, an investment portfolio manager, a planner like myself, and then a private banker. So all of us know we're all in our own swim lanes. And then the relationship manager brings us in as they see the need arises with that client. Um, 
when there is a new client relationship, bringing them on, um, planning is a part of that process. So if we're going to be bringing on a new investment relationship, they'll bring in planning so we can really understand that client and any of the investment recommendations are based on what we look at in the planning side. So we'll do very similar to an RIA. That's definitely leading with planning. And again, this was based on my experience in an RIA. But we start with the cash flow. We start with understanding their full picture. We look at what their needs are just from a baseline level. And then we work with the investment portfolio manager to make those recommendations on how they're going to be allocated. Um, and then we go further. So if they're we're part of the ongoing process. Um, if something comes up in the client's life where they need to relook at whatever we prepared for as they came in as a new client, we'll take a look at that. So if there was a life event, if there's a health event, anything that we as planners typically look at, the relationship manager will come back to us and ask us to revisit the planning. And so we'll, we'll be brought back in if we need to rerun analyses. Um, we're also part of annual conversations, or if there's a need, we'll be a part of more. But when they do the annual reviews, planning will come back in. We'll just see what's going on in their life, see if there's anything that we can help with, um, and then update the analyses too, just to help again with the investment discussions if that's if that's a piece of the relationship. Um, trust administration, a lot of times they bring us in if they're doing beneficiary distributions and they want to make sure that the recommendations they're making are going to sustain that portfolio and the life of those assets for those beneficiaries because we do have a fiduciary responsibility to those clients. Um, so we're brought in there as well. So part of the relationship, also specialty, if a client's selling their business, um, that happens a, a lot. Uh, we'll come in and we'll do analyses for them, work with them very intensely um, to help them through that process. And then again, on an annual basis, check in. So when you come in to meet with clients, since your your compensation is not tied to any kind of product sales, are you are you brought in as the fiduciary to provide that sort of lens when recommendations are being given to clients? That's absolutely it. So I'm coming in as the CFP, as a fiduciary, and I have that fiduciary responsibility to make recommendations that are most appropriate for the client. It's not for the bank. It's not for me. I'm not compensated again if they, like I said, if they open a checking account, if they if they buy a product that that's not where I'm compensated or incentivized, my incentive, of course, like any of us is to manage that relationship to make sure that, you know, if they're bringing in their investments that they stay with us, all of us want the bigger share of wallet, right? No matter where we're working. And so that's important. And we're going to do that by the service that we're providing. My recommendations are to support what the rest of the team's recommendations are. And we work on a fiduciary platform. So again, nobody is compensated if we're if they're buying a bank product here or there or a widget. That's not that's not what we're doing. Um, it's really to support the relationship, just like any of our businesses are. Before we let you go, Susie, I have a question about your participation in the bank outside of financial planning. So, mm -hmm. if you were to work at a smaller RIA or or something like that, you would have opportunities to maybe sit on a committee or you know, have some other responsibilities that don't necessarily pertain to client things at all times. Mm -hmm. So are there ways in which you're involved at BMO or somehow involved with the bank at maybe outside of working directly with clients? Yeah. Um, from my perspective, I think I've had a lot of opportunity there. And I think sometimes that's why I like working in the bank space. Um, I've had a lot of opportunities. So I sit on a committee for women and wealth and I've been 
lucky enough to do some of the presentations for our women and wealth um, ventures that we do. So uh, we're doing, I think, two a year now where we're trying to reach out to our clients and doing presentations. So I get to be a part of putting that together and, and actually presenting at those. So that's been um, a nice avenue to take me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> um, but I'm really diving into that. Um, I had another opportunity to do a speaking engagement. So BMO as a whole was asked to do a speaking engagement for um, business succession. And so I got the tap on the shoulder to do that as a resource. So I don't know that I would have had that opportunity had um, the bank not been tapped on the shoulder to do that. So I've had some speaking engagements. There's a lot of committees within the bank. There are some career committees, um, growth committees, things like that, um, that I've been a part of. There's what we call pulse, but it's essentially the way that we make sure that employees are satisfied in their job. Um, they do an annual review and then a committee is put together to make sure that anything that as a bank, we weren't taking care of our employees in the way that they say they want to be. So for example, if they don't feel like their manager is asking them enough about career progression, they'll say that in the, in the survey at the end of the year. And then a committee will be put together to decide, okay, how do we do this? Um, so I've been put on one of those tasks, task forces to um, identify one of the areas that the employees said they didn't feel that they were getting enough satisfaction in that area. So that's been interesting because I've gotten to work with people all across the country. Um, so there's a lot of ways that I've been able to utilize my role in the bank to grow myself, um, do things that I probably would never have done outside or put myself in those positions, um, like the speaking engagement, for example, and have that career growth. So it's it's been a good platform to do that. Are these opportunities that were available to anyone and you sort of applied or was it something where you asked for an opportunity to become more involved or committees opened up and you asked to be a part of them? What was, what was the progression? How did you get involved? The Women in Wealth one I did ask to be a part of because I, I really firmly believe in the Women in Wealth initiatives that we have. And I thought that I could be a voice for that. Um, honestly, I was voluntold, as, as they say around here, to do the, uh, to do the business succession speaking engagement. Um, however, that turned out to be a really good thing for my career. Um, gave me a lot of growth opportunity and I've had a lot of uh, follow up after that from different organizations. Um, so I would say if you're ever given an opportunity to do something that you're totally not comfortable with, but you think it might lead to that, take it. I did not want to do it. I pushed and pushed, <laughs> but I ended up nobody else could do it. And so I got, I, I was sent, but it probably was one of the better things that I've done for my career. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'm tapped, sometimes I raise my hand. Um, but every time I'm tapped, probably for better or worse, I usually say yes, which again, a lot of people might say is not a great thing because sometimes I spend a lot of time doing that stuff. But again, I'm learning. I'm seeing where I can maybe take my career next. I'm seeing what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, mm. and then going from there. But there's a lot of there's a lot of availability within the bank, and they give me a lot of flexibility to say what I want to do. So listening to you, it sounds like you volunteer or are voluntold for some things uh, to participate in. Do you have tips or thoughts on how folks can put themselves in positions um, to be tapped or maybe just sort of getting comfortable being uncomfortable and asking for volunteer positions? How does that work for you? Yeah, I, 
I may have made it sound easier than it was, but I, you know, there were a lot of things that I have been asked to do. Um, you know, like I said, the speaking engagements, I hated public speaking. I still am not a huge fan um, writing papers that are being published. I'm not a very good writer at all, or at least I never thought that I was. Um, so anytime I've been asked to do these things, I will ask other people who are not a part of the conversation if they think this is a good use of my time. So people that I, I respect and that, again, are kind of in a mentor type role to me, I'll ask them if this is a good use of my time because I've also learned over the years that while I might have the time um, because maybe I don't have other responsibilities, I doesn't mean necessarily that I have to give all of my time to this. Um, you know, I still like to do a lot of things outside of work. I have a lot of personal activities and things that I like to do and sometimes just not do anything. So I think it's really important to to balance, first of all, um, not say yes to everything, but be strategic in what you're saying yes to and then what you think it will actually do for you. Um, mm. If you're looking at trying to be the person who's being tapped, I would say be involved. If you have, if, if there are organizations that are available to you, again, FPA has given me so many platforms and I'm not just saying that because of <laughs> this podcast, but it really, really has. And so being involved, being in committees, just being in front of people, um, you, you might not be the most outgoing or you might not think that you are, but just being involved in um, different organizations where you're comfortable. Um, people get to know you. People see your face often enough. They'll think of you when opportunities come up. And if they know what your brand is, what you're interested in, um, which is something that you have to take on yourself to tell people what you're interested in, or at least showcase what that is. If they know, hey, I know she's a planner. I know he's a planner. Or you know, I really, he's mentioned before that he wants to start writing or he's interested in being a blogger, whatever, whatever that is. If you say that enough and you're in front of their face enough, you'll get tapped. Um, mm -hmm. People always need something. <laughs> people always need a volunteer. Um, sure. You know, there's always opportunities that arise. Um, and so it, it will come. You just have to be patient, but you also have to be your own advocate. Nobody else is going to do it for you. So that's what I would yeah. say is the, is the biggest thing. Great. And for those of you who don't know, Susie is our national local leader coordinator for NextGen and is the former local leader in Arizona for their FPA NextGen uh, community out there. She's gone from being the local leader to the national position. Um, and will be, and this is your last year, right? As a volunteer, at least in this capacity until you volunteer for something else. <laughs> <laughs> until I have no more time left. Um, and I'm still volunteering, but yes, this is my last year in that role. We've been happy and lucky to have you. So no, and I appreciate That's what I do have to say is I, you know, while I may have advocated for myself, I could not be where I am without people giving me opportunities and just just being nice and letting me come in. And, and you know, you, Ian, even, you know, gave me the opportunity and believed in me. So I much appreciate all the people that I've been surrounded with. If you like this episode, you can find more at fpaactivate.org and be sure to join the FPA Activate community on Facebook. It's a growing study group for financial planning professionals from students to firm owners, professors, and board members. You'll find them all there where you too can lend your voice. We hope you'll join us and help grow the financial planning profession. Thanks for listening.